Hello, welcome to The Wire, where you can get independent coverage of current affairs on your local community radio station, wherever you are, right around Australia. I'm Roderick Chambers in Sydney, and coming up on The Wire today... Their own comfort, their own status, their own financial situation takes precedence over anybody else's rights even the right to life. The kidnapping and murder of Kerry Whelan and the murder of Dorothy Davis by Bruce Burrell sparked immense media interest over the course of two trials and a coronial inquest. Mark Tedeschi KC has written a detailed account in his book Missing, Presumed Dead. In murder trials, a lot often depends on forensic and medical evidence that is gleaned from an autopsy and evidence at the crime scene. Where no body has been found and there are no witnesses, a prosecution's case must rely on circumstantial evidence which can make a successful prosecution much more difficult. The case against Bruce Burrell for the kidnapping and murder of Kerry Whelan was one such case. And Mark Tedeschi, AMKC, Australian barrister, law professor, photographer and author, who at the time was the New South Wales Senior Crown Prosecutor, ran the trials against Bruce Burrell for the murder of Kerry Whelan and also the murder of Dorothy Davis. He's written a book that details those trials and investigations entitled Missing, Presumed Dead. And he agreed to speak with me about the trials. Mark Tedeschi, Bruce Burrell initially worked in a bank and then met his wife Dallas working for an ad agency. They lived in Lurline Bay, South Coogee. He could be charming and personable, but he didn't seem to be able to keep a job for very long. Bruce Burrell was a very poor employee. In his first job as a bank teller, he um, stole some cheques and uh, was discovered by the bank and um, was at threat of prosecution, but his father made an arrangement to pay back the amount that had been stolen and the police weren't called. He was never a good employee. He uh, he had the ability to charm people into giving him jobs, but once he had it, he was lazy, he was quarrelsome, he was a, a, a very unsatisfactory employee and he rarely lasted any length of time in any job at all. One of the people that he seemed to have managed to charm was Bernie Whelan, who was the MD or the CEO of um, Crown Equipment Group and he managed to get himself a job there as the advertising manager, and that didn't turn out too well either, did it? Yes, look, um, uh, Bruce Burrell and um, Bernie Whelan became friends because they had common interest in agricultural pursuits and and um, in shooting and uh, cattle and the like, um, and Bernie Whelan made the mistake of offering Bruce Burrell a job at Crown Equipment. And it didn't take long for him to realise that it was a big mistake and eventually he had to let Bruce Burrell go and uh, Bernie was the one who had to tell him that um, he had to let him go. And he seemed to take it well at the time, but deep down Bruce Burrell harboured deep resentments against Bernie Whelan, who was wealthy, successful, popular everything that Bruce Burrell aspired to be uh, and that he wasn't. It was some years later that Bruce Burrell devised a plan to kidnap uh, Bernie Whelan's wife, Kerry, for ransom. 
And this was uh, something that perhaps had been burning for a while uh, in in him in that he did feel resentful that Bernie had not sort of stood by him and, and kept him in his job. But before all that happened, he decided that uh, he needed uh, money for his farm out at Hillydale, which he uh, was near the area that he grew up in near Goulburn, uh, which is a pretty pretty wild and woolly area around Bungonia. He'd come across uh, a friend of his wife's, Dorothy Davis, and she was a woman that seemed to be of substance, and he felt that maybe she would be able to lend him some money. Uh, she was a bit cannier than he realised, wasn't she? Chris Burrell had made a habit of convincing middle-aged or elderly women to lend him money. And uh, a number of them had done that. And then when they asked for the money back, he would get very nasty and very threatening. The other women would just put it down to a bad experience and let it go. But um, Dorothy Davis was a very close friend of Bruce Burrell's wife, Dallas. Uh, In fact, Dorothy had known Dallas all of Dallas's life. And when Bruce came to Dorothy Davis and asked to borrow money to buy a new house for Dallas, Um, she felt that she couldn't say no. So she lent him a large sum of money. And um, some months later, she had the hide to ask for it back because that was the arrangement. But uh, he had already dissipated the money. He had no way of paying it back. He used it just to keep himself going and on his property, Hillydale. Pungonia, when he started to get nasty in the usual way that he did, um, she said, well, look, either you pay it back or I'll give it, hand it over to my solicitor. And what's more, I will tell Dorothy that I've lent you this money. Because that was something that Bruce Burrell tell Dallas, terrified tell of. Dallas. Uh, to, sorry, to tell Dallas. Uh, that was something that Bruce Burrell was terif- terrified of because... Um, he had prevailed upon Dorothy Davis not to tell Dallas anything about this loan. Dallas sounds like to be almost the antithesis uh, to Bruce Burrell in terms of her morality and uh, the way that she treated people. Totally. Uh, Dallas was a a really, was and is a really lovely lady and um, she made the mistake relatively late in life to marry Bruce Burrell, who at first glance seemed to be very charming, but she found out pretty quickly that he was actually a, a good-for-nothing and a, and a nasty man who um, would turn on her and drain her for money as well. So at some point, he's devised a plan to, I guess, get rid of the problem, which was Dorothy. And on the day yes. that she went missing... The, the most important piece of evidence that came out was from the builder that was there, and he yes. uh, had a conversation with her, and it tended to indicate that there was nobody else that Dorothy could be going out to see except Dallas. But the the odd thing was, of course, that Dallas wasn't going to be at home, so she could not have Correct. made the arrangements with Dallas. It must have. No, I'm thinking no, it must have been right. with Bruce, mustn't it? So absolutely, somehow she, there's been a there's she been went a, there expecting to see Dallas. Yes. Bruce was the only one at home. Did any of the police have any ideas about what may have happened? Well, he enticed her to come around the block from her home to his home because he lived on the other 
side of the of the same block. And she went on foot, and when she left the home, she pointed in the direction of the Burrell home and said to her builder that she was going to visit a female friend who'd had cancer but had, and had had chemotherapy but had recovered. And that description precisely fitted Dallas Burrell. Um, now, we don't know how he murdered her, but um, she would have gone to his home. She would have entered his home and been murdered in his home. And then within an hour, he was in his car driving down to Hillydale at Bungonia, where no doubt he disposed of her body. And, and that's one of the things that when you were looking at the Kerry Whelan case, there was uh, all these similarities which you found. And one of these was that, you know, he was at Hillydale immediately after the disappearance of both yes, Kerry right. and Dorothy. That's correct. And there were yes. opportunities around that area for things to be completely hidden. So he was well aware that it was a, that area was a good place to yes, hide. There were a whole lot of mine shafts that were dotted around that area from old mining activities. And um, the, the police ended up searching a lot of those mine shafts, but there were some of them that they couldn't go down because they were very... Um, very old and, and in danger of collapsing, so they couldn't put police down them. And so um, Dorothy disappeared, and yep. but as was the case with Kerry, there was no body. Nothing was found. No, there was no body of no. Not, neither of the two bodies were ever located. And that's a difficulty legally, isn't it? Because that means that you have to make a case based on more circumstantial evidence. That's correct. You've got to prove death circumstantially because you don't have a body to prove death. One of the things you thought about, I noticed in the book, was that you thought, well, you know, how often does this happen? How often do, uh, you know, well-off middle-aged women just disappear? And yeah. when you got the stats back, it wasn't very often, was it? No, it was. it's very rare for affluent, middle-aged or elderly women to just disappear off the face of the earth when they're not um, associated with drugs or associated with the criminal element. and um, They're not suffering from mental illness, um, not unhappy with their lives and have no reason to disappear. It's very, very rare. Because one of the things you had with Kerry Whelan was some, I suppose, quite fortuitous pictures in a way of his Pajero, well, something that looked very much like his Mitsubishi Pajero outside yes. the Park Royal Hotel at Parramatta where he was going to meet Kerry Whelan on the day. No, 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 no that, that's, that's not a correct way to put it. No? We had no evidence that he had made an arrangement to meet her there. That was our case, that he had met her there, but we had no direct evidence that they'd made an arrangement to meet there. But what we had was a very, a rather blurred video image of a car leaving the outside of the Park Royal Hotel just a matter of a few seconds, 30-something seconds, after Kerry Whelan had exited the car park of that hotel um, and it showed this vehicle taking off from the parking lane and it was a vehicle that exactly matched a description of a vehicle that Bruce Burrell was in possession of. 
So in terms of, of um, uh, not just the type of vehicle, but also features like a, a running board and some markings on the rear windscreen, windscreen and things like that. So our case was that he had made an arrangement to meet her there and that she had somehow been convinced to get into his car. But we had no direct evidence that he'd actually made that arrangement with her. We had to prove that by circumstantial means. And there was, uh, I think, the friend of hers... Amanda Minton-Taylor. Yes, yes so yes. The, she she had overheard and seen a meeting with uh, that Bruce Burrell had with Kerry Whelan when he came to their property. Yeah, something, made like some, three, he, something, something like three weeks prior to her disappearance, Bruce Burrell had unexpectedly turned up at uh, the Whelan home at Carajong and uh, had got entry to their property and had sat outside on a porch with Kerry having a cup of tea and that was observed by the uh, nanny and horse trainer who was employed by the Whelans and um, she proved to be a very important witness because after the ransom note was received, she was asked to go. She, she told the police about this strange man whose name she didn't remember who had visited Kerry three weeks earlier and she was shown a whole lot of photo albums of the Whelan family and she eventually came across across a photo of a, a, that had been taken on a picnic day at Currajong for the staff of Crown Equipment. And um, she said that's the man who came to visit and, of course, that man was was Bruce Burrell uh, at a time when he was employed by Crown Equipment. So, yes, she, she was the one who first alerted the police to Bruce Burrell and he became the one and only suspect. The police were utterly convinced that he was responsible for her kidnapping. Because there were no other suspects and there wasn't much of a case for anything else. Well, also because... Uh, some days before he went to visit Kerry at her home, he had unexpectedly telephoned Bernie Whelan and spoken to him after years of no contact. And Bernie Whelan didn't know the reason for the call. There seemed to be no purpose in the call. But during the call, he had told Bruce Burrell that each second Wednesday he would go to Adelaide for a site visit at the Crown Equipment premises in Adelaide. And the very next Wednesday that he was away was the day that that um, that Bruce Burrell came and visited Kerry. Um, and there was also the very strange ransom note that was received the day after Kerry's disappearance that was obviously formulated for a very different scenario to the one that had actually occurred. It was more formulated for a scenario where the family would not have notified the police before receiving the ransom note. And, of course, that was not the case when Kerry disappeared from the Park Royal and Bernie realised that she was missing and called the police and then a day later received the ransom note. Hi, I'm Ray Martin. You're listening to The Wire on community and Indigenous radio right across Australia. Stay well.
You're listening to The Wire. I'm Roderick Chambers. I'm speaking with Mark Tedeschi, KC, who's written a new book, Missing Presumed Dead. At the Park Royal Hotel, for one reason or another, he had managed to get uh, Kerry Whelan to, you know, meet there, park her car and go with him in his car. And one of the reasons that might have been is something to do with the officers of Crown, wasn't it? Because they were near Smithfield and one of the pieces of evidence uh, that that the police found was the uh, street directory, the UBD street directory, that had a route marked on it in in highlighter, and that went yes. via that area. Now, d- well, it went towards Smithfield, where Crown Equipment was. Yes, it started at the Park Royal Hotel and had the address of the Park Royal Hotel written in the margin. So, so it may have been that the premise was that they were on the way there for some reason, and that's, that's how that's he got the her into the car. Hypothesis that I advance in the book for that reason. But uh, some of that evidence was not allowed in at the trial, so it wasn't a hypothesis that we could advance at the trial. And, and that was because the 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 date of the um, highlighting, I suppose, couldn't be uh, defined. Um, well, the the highlighting from the Park Royal Hotel leading away was allowed into evidence. But where it finished, where it ended, was not allowed into evidence. Ah, I see. But that, that's quite important, isn't it? Because that gives you, that gives you some, uh, you know, yes. evidence of forethought on his part and planning. And uh... well, that's the hypothesis that I advance in the book that somehow he'd convinced her to get in the car to go and see Bernie about something. And it was some sort of a, a special thing or a surprise, and therefore she wasn't to tell Bernie. And this was the well, same she, thing that she had happened. She hadn't mentioned to... it to Bernie. She hadn't written any, anything in her diary except the time of the meeting. Um, we don't know what he said to her that convinced her to keep it secret. But he was good at doing this sort of thing because this seemed to be the same thing that he'd done with Dorothy, isn't it? Uh, he was good at convincing people to keep secrets. Yes. Yeah. So it was, you know, don't don't tell Dallas, and in this case, it was yes. don't tell Bernie. Yes, so that's right. The the most natural thing that they might have done, um, he convinced them not to do. That's right. We haven't mentioned the car's uh, ownership. You did mention that he it was a car that he was using. Uh, yes. In fact, uh, he had stolen that car, that Pajero. That's He'd correct. stolen another car, a, a very yeah. uh, expensive Jaguar at the time, and various other things. When Bruce Burrell was trying to extort money from Bernie Whelan, th- that's when he had some bad luck, wasn't it? And he got picked up in this car. And that's when there, there was a huge search of his property and, and various things were found. Yes, the, well, he, be, he very quickly became the one and only suspect for the kidnapping. The police didn't know whether she was still alive or not, but, of course, she knew Bruce Burrell, so there's no way that he could have allowed her to be returned to her family if a ransom was paid. He had sent the ransom note um, after the kidnapping and it was received by the family the day later. Um, so he, he immediately became a suspect and the police started conducting surveillance of him and saw him in 
a vehicle that um, matched the one that was seen on the video from the Park Royal Hotel. So that even even more strengthened their conviction that it was him. Uh, they conducted covert surveillance of his home but saw no trace of her and then got a search warrant and did an official search that took about, oh, took about a week uh, of his home and uh, all those mine shafts in the vicinity of his home. So with the case that was being uh, put together by you, did you and your team, did you feel at any point that there could have been other people that may have been murdered by Bruce Burrell? There was no evidence led at the trial about any other suspected murders, but in the book I mention a fellow called Charlie Spears who lived quite close to where Bruce Burrell lived at Lurline Bay and Bruce wanted to buy his house from him and he had refused. He was an elderly man who was very frail, could barely walk and um, a few days after turning down Bruce Burrell's request to sell his house, Charlie Spears disappeared off the face of the earth without trace. And there's a very strong suspicion that Bruce Burrell was responsible for his disappearance as well. You also sort of have felt that he's got a narcissistic personality and this is one of the reasons that initially people are drawn to him and then there's another side that turns out. And this is this consistent with people who do perpetrate these heinous crimes? Look, I'm fascinated by narcissistic personality disorder um, and I have prosecuted a number of people who had those uh, that disorder, including Bruce Burrell. Look, not all narcissists commit murders, but Bruce Burrell had a lot of significant character traits that really pointed to him being a really serious narcissist. And one of the features of narcissism is that the narcissist has no capacity to have empathy for other people. Their own comfort, their own status, their own financial situation takes precedence over anybody else's rights, even the right to life. And they also have an overinflated sense of their own their own capabilities and their own ability to plan complex events. Um, and Bruce Burrell thought that he had every particular angle uh, well and truly planned and catered for uh, in, in, in the um, kidnapping and murder of Kerry Whelan. But the truth of the matter is that he left numerous pieces of evidence implicating himself but he was totally unaware of that and really he hadn't planned it well at all. When you've got to the end of all of this, did you feel that as much justice that could have been done was done? Well, uh, Bruce Burrow was convicted of both murders and um, so in that sense I think justice was done, yes. Um, We never got to find out the location of the bodies, so that was very disappointing for the families of both victims um, and in that sense um, it left uh, a big hole for the families but um, you know he was convicted which was very important. Thank you Mark Tedeschi for speaking with me about your book Missing Presumed Dead. 
Bruce Burrell was convicted of both the murders of Dorothy Davis and Kerry Whelan. He died in jail but never admitted to the murders, nor did he give any hint of where the bodies of Kerry Whelan, Dorothy Davis and possibly others had been disposed of. And that's it for The Wire today. You can find all of our stories online at thewire.org.au or subscribe to our podcasts. Just look for The Wire Radio. Today's program came from the studios of Radio 2 SER 107.3 here in Sydney and broadcast around the nation on the community radio network. In Sydney, The Wire is produced on Gadigal country of the Eora Nation and with the assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We're going to be back again tomorrow, so do tune in again then. I'm Roderick Chambers. Do stay well and thanks for your company. Music.